Welcome to the Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast with your host, Scott Peckford. Hey, welcome to the ILMB Rookie Mortgage Broker Podcast. Every Friday, I talk to a rookie who's making waves in the mortgage industry to find out how they're succeeding in today's competitive market. Today, I have Taylor Atkinson. Taylor is one of the amazing brokers at our brokerage, Bricks Mortgage. And a couple of things about Taylor. He uh, funded his 10th file after 225 days. He's got another five set to fund on the way and for $7 million in mortgage volume. And guys doing amazing things. So we talk about the importance of having good support around you in terms of just underwriting support and getting you know help getting files funded. We talk about how he's found a niche that's been really helpful for him. And we even talk a little bit about his investment experience. And the guy has a ton of real estate investment experience before he ever got into mortgages and loves anything to do with saving money on tax. Very smart dude. He's going to have a very successful mortgage career, I have no doubt. I think you're going to enjoy this conversation with Taylor. Before we jump into this episode, I want to give a shout out to our title sponsor, Finmo. Finmo is a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform designed specifically for Canadian borrowers and mortgage brokers. Really easy to use. We love it because it's easy for our brokers to learn. Borrowers love it because it's easy to interact with. It's got some really cool features like Smart Docs. So as they're filling out the app, it's figuring out what documents are going to need for you. It's connected to Lender Spotlight. So when that app comes in, you can go search the Lender Spotlight, all the rates, guidelines, figure out you know what you can do or not do. And then finally, when you go to hit the submit button, it's got smart submission notes, pulls the key data from the application so that it makes it easy for your lender to review your file and give you a yes. If you make it easy for them, they will give you more yeses. That's just standard. If you check out lendescom slash Finmo to check out that tool and check out this conversation with Taylor. Hey, Taylor, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks a lot for having me. So, hey, tell me a little bit about yourself and where you're from. Yeah, first of all, father, husband, um, that's a big priority in my life. Couldn't do this without the support of my loving family. Born in Vancouver, raised in Kelowna, spent about 15 years overseas in my past career. So just kind of moved back to the Okanagan a couple of years ago. And I know this, the answer to this question, what was your past career? I was a helicopter engineer. So serviced helicopters by performing maintenance on them globally. Yeah. And so do you know how to fly helicopters well or just fix them? I know the theory how to fly them, but yeah, legally, I shouldn't be allowed behind the stick. You're not allowed to do it, right? It yeah. seems like the thing that shouldn't, I mean, I know that this, obviously the science is sound, but it seems like a kind of machine that really shouldn't get off the ground. Like, Yeah, absolutely not. It's just a bunch yeah. of parts vibrating and rotating. Like that, a bumblebee. Yeah. You know, like they yeah. say like a bumblebee shouldn't be able to fly, but it does the same with a helicopter. Okay, so what made you get into mortgages? Because I'm pretty sure like when you're working overseas, you're between the tax efficiencies and you're making pretty good money. What made you jump into being a mortgage broker, mortgage agent? Yeah, honestly, it's been on the horizon for a long time. I just never really took the step to go do it. I actually did like my strata course prior to this with UBC Souter and, and a bunch of other kind of training. But yeah, as I was overseas making money, I was a non-resident as well. So I was a resident of Panama for tax purposes. I love tax. You know, I get pretty excited about it. My wife probably gets super bored and annoyed of me talking about that. Um, tax or hacks? What did you say? Tax. Like CRA. Yeah. There's just so many uh, opportunities to kind of work within the system. Right. That are legal, but you got to yeah. understand how to navigate. Okay. So just out of curiosity, what is the tax savings of being a resident of Panama versus Canadian resident? Yeah. So Panama is 0% tax on foreign income. So as long as you made money overseas and you brought it into Panama, which was a great you know, product for Panama to suggest to do because it supports their economy, right? Like it brings money into a country that theoretically doesn't have that liberal spending. So right. yeah, they encouraged us to come in, 
bring money into Panama. And then we had a huge tax savings there. And then with additional tax savings, I just started to pour money back into my Canadian portfolio for real estate and right. kind of slowly built up my portfolio that way. And then, okay. So once you gave up that foreign, like how hard was it to get back your, I'm sure the Canadian government's like happy to take your tax money. So like, oh, yeah. how did you say, Hey, okay, I'm back tax me. What does that process look like? Yeah. Super easy. You just raise your hand and say, I want to give CRA money. And, they and they're like, with welcome front of the line. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was super difficult to get away from paying tax, but to come back into the system was no problem. They had no problem at all. And what about, were you able to maintain credit? I'm just curious as a mortgage broker, it's something we think about. So could you maintain Canadian credit and be a non-resident for tax purposes? I was, and that's because I had open lines of credit. I had credit cards going. Technically, you're not supposed to have credit cards, but I needed them to you know, pay for business, to pay for my mortgages and real estate holdings. So I was allowed, but I did recently do a file with a non-res Canadian and she even has a previous existing mortgage and she had no credit. So I think at some stage, you obviously you know, can lose that credit rating, which would be- right detrimental moving forward. Well, then you got, it's just a delay getting back on track with that and stuff. And so you got into investing in real estate. This is none of the questions I'm going to ask you, but I just love asking questions. What was the most interesting real estate deal that you put together? Because I know you got quite a bit of experience. Yeah, I would say the most profitable with a lot of moving parts that, you know, you try and educate yourself and listen to podcasts and read books. And you just don't know if these are actually real things, but it was a mixed use commercial property in Vernon. So it was 46 strata lots and being strata lots, you know, you're purchasing each individual title. And then I split it up. I did 13 of the units under a vendor take back mortgage. So the existing owner, I set up an agreement with him. And then the other units I did as a conventional mortgage. There's, you know, kind of reasons why we set that up that way. But yeah, that was probably the most kind of unique strategy to purchase that property. Right. Yeah. And I think given the current market, the creative stuff is going to come back like agreement for sale and things that with stuff that's going on, somebody has a really low rate mortgage and you could take it over. Like, you know, I'm sure you know how those work. I think yeah. Gonna, I sold a property once with an agreement for sale and it worked out great for me. Um, I am. Yeah. I am thinking about doing that actually on another property because I have a couple of years left at very low interest rate. And yeah, that's a value add to them purchasing. Yeah. For you and them and, and stuff. So anyways, we won't get into the weeds of that right now, because this is not the purpose of the show, but yeah. just to say you have a ton of experience in investment real estate. So when you decided to become a mortgage agent, how long ago did you get your license and did you go full-time or part-time? Yeah. So I took the plunge to go through UBC's Souter 2021 summer. I wrote my exam in November. I know that date pretty well because our son was 12 days old at that point. So I was pretty much running on coffee and no sleep and jumped in and wrote the exam. Luckily skimmed through there and got my license in February. I went part-time because I was still working as an aircraft maintenance engineer. And it worked out well because, you know, when the aircraft was out flying in the day, I could work on mortgages and set up my business that way. In addition to that, obviously, you know, a nice T4 income with the history behind it is really good for my own mortgages. So it kind of went hand in hand really well. And then yeah, to kind of convert over full time, it was the end of the heli skiing season. So we did heli skiing for um, people that probably don't need mortgages. They were wealthy enough just to come yeah, in. They're doing heli skiing. Yes, take me up there. Yeah, yeah. yeah right. So I got to go skiing a couple of times last winter and hang out with some pretty interesting people. And then when that season was done, my mortgage business was just naturally like really starting to ramp up. And my son was, you know, starting to crawl around and it was just a great time to be at home for the summer. So yeah, um, yeah just naturally kind of fell into place really well. 
Right. Just to hit, then hit the ground. Okay. So was there any point that you questioned if this was the right career for you? Were you always like, no, I know this is what I want to do. Or is there any point you're like, man, I don't know. This seems like it's harder than I thought. Or I'm curious. Yeah. You know, it's an interesting question because I've listened to this podcast before, obviously. And, you know, when this question comes up in my mind in the earlier days, I was always telling myself like, absolutely. I would never answer that. I would ever question, you know, if I was in the right career, like this is it, this is me. I'm great at this job and I love it. And I love structuring these deals. And then over the last couple of months, when I had some really hard, unique files, I was like, what You're am like, I man, doing? Well, yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I was like, oh God, I can't wait until I'm on this podcast and I can tell that story because it was, you know, I had high net worth files, retired people, non-res, no credit score, out of country signing, like some pretty difficult files to get across the line. And I would say for sure, I've questioned if I was in the right industry. And that's generally like in that period of you're waiting for the commitment letter or, you know, you're collecting some other documents that just were like really tough files to get across. So yeah, yeah. unfortunately, I there are not, there's not myself. a lot of easy files right now. I mean, there are some, but the current market is not, you know, full of those. So can you share a file that you lost when you first started out, but now looking back, you'd be like, I know how I would handle this different. Is it a client conversation or give me an example of one that you were like, oh, not because I want to make you relive the pain, but because I think there's a thousand ways to lose a file. And so I think there's always a lesson for people. So can you share something you picked up? Yeah, I think I have two examples. One okay. being like just trying to stay authentic. And so there was a client that was coming from TD, sold their house in the lower mainland, moving to the Okanagan. Great client, both have solid T4 incomes. You know, it was going to be a larger volume mortgage and they wanted to work with me, which was awesome based on a referral from their realtor. And to be honest, like there was no way I could compete with TD on this. They gave them a blend and extend ported their mortgage. Like it was the best option for them. And so I just communicated that with client and kind of walked away. And then days afterwards, I was like, man, I, I don't know. I, maybe I could have done something better. Maybe I could have switched them to a different lender and, and gave them a better service. And yeah, that's one I lost that I think I would continue to lose because I'm just going to stick to the core value of like, if I was in their position, that's what I would have suggested for myself. Um, right. So it took a couple of days to kind of get over that. Cause at that point, business wasn't booming for myself, but yep. you know, it was the right thing for them and the right thing for my business. I think. Okay. What um, was the other example? Yeah. The other example is head clients at the beginning and everyone deserves a mortgage. Everyone deserves a fair shot at it. And these clients had about five properties under contract that kept falling apart, whether it was an inspection or they couldn't get insurance or they just backed out for various reasons. And and finally, we got the fifth one approved by a lender and then they backed out again. And I think at that point, like I was just trying too hard to make that mortgage happen. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I saw the signs like on the first application, they were tire kickers and there's nothing wrong with that. But like, you know, I see why now some mortgage agents just focus on the A clients or how to vet those clients a little bit more. So I think instead of losing that file, I just would have said no to that file now. You know, not saying their name, you know, Tom and whatever, Sally at 123 Main Street. Like what was the indication or the key thing that you realized these people are not serious in their target? What triggered that? Yeah, pretty obvious. They were searching in different cities and different provinces. So every property they had under contract were like a thousand kilometers apart from each other. And it's a hard thing. Any plan to what they were doing? No. And the purchase prices were all over the map and like they weren't serious about it. Just out of curiosity, what do you think they were trying to do? Like, was this just like a hobby for them or something? Like, No, I think they were just like opportunists, you know, they were trying to get a property for a deal. And I see, you know, whether they were offering in 
you know, Alaska or Texas, it didn't matter. They were going to offer anywhere to try and get the best deal. And they were using me as a scapegoat or the realtor as a scapegoat to back out of the deal. And yeah, it was just a, an unfortunate situation. Yeah, so you realize, hey, these people, I wouldn't want that kind of client either. So when did you fund your first file? Do you remember the, like the... It was the beginning of June. I don't know the exact date, but yeah, early June. And then how many files have you funded so far? Uh, 12 have funded so far. And then what do you have in your pipeline right now? I have two funding next week and one more in uh, December, probably. That's pre-construction, so not sure exact date. And then a couple more in the funnel. So yeah, I'll be at 15 in the next very soon next and then month. in a couple of months or so and what kind of mix of files have you seen are you attracting people like you the investor kind of client like you are you attracting like what is it that you're typically finding yeah i'm attracting the more unique files they started out to be a lot of investors obviously that's just kind of my background and network and then i had some realtor referral partners that kind of threw some test clients at me and i'm sure that's a pretty common thread for new brokers yeah. um and that's a tough one because, you know, you don't want to say no to them. You want to prove your worth. But again, if you're saying no to them, then the realtor probably knows that you have self-worth and you're not, you know, going to waste yeah. time on those clients. So it's a really hard balance, but having so much, you know, spare time at the beginning, I did focus a lot on those clients and worked really hard with them. A lot of them didn't actually go through and, you know, fund mortgages. But yeah, now I'm starting to, there's still unique files. There's still a lot of non-residents from my overseas time. There's some high net worth clients, there's retired clients, but I think I am slowly starting to transition more into the A client, but still a lot of self-employed people, you know? And I think that comes from maybe my tax planning background or running a small business. Like there was a, uh, a training day in the hundred day challenge. And she really spoke to me, you know, she put together a presentation and she was like, you know, these are my people. Like, why am I going to turn them away? I want to work with them. You know, that I can relate to them. I know exactly what they're going through. And that really hit home with me. So I kind of took a spin on that and started to make my own presentation. And I think that's where I drummed up a lot of my own business. Yeah. yeah you got to find your niche, right? Like whatever that is. And so that's awesome. I think of me, if I was to go back to full-time brokering today, it would either be, I love entrepreneurs, small business owners. I'm just like, I'm hardwired for that. I could talk about that all day. So those people, or I might even get into B business more now. Some of the unique products that are out, they didn't exist when I was doing it. I'm like, yes, there's more challenges, but not the like, Hey, I have no credit, no job. I drive Uber and skip the dishes. Like, no, not that I'm talking like the business owner who is strategically paying less tax, but understands that they're not going to get a you know, there's low of an interest rate, but that would be the client I'd be looking for. As long as they're on board with that, like as long as, you know, you have that in the discovery call and they understand that they've saved money on taxes. So they're going to spend a little bit more on the interest rate, yeah. then they're happy. But if they don't, they're grateful you know, instead of, yeah. or if they feel like they deserve X, but you know, the, whatever the prime rate and they can't get it, then you're better off to let them try with someone else and then come to you as the expert and say, yeah, this is you know, right from the beginning. Don't waste your time. Yeah. Um, so I think that's really good. So there are kind of two distinct skills. I always say there's sales and underwriting, which one was harder for you? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question as well. Sales. I never really classified myself as a sales guy. I don't know. It just has a stigma associated to that word for me. Maybe. I, no, I, me too. I think if I had to re, cause that was a hard word for me. I, I think sales is just serving people. And sometimes you already touched on this, tell them to take the deal they've been offered, take the money mm -hmm. and run. That's the integrity thing to do. That's what I would do if you were my cousin. I'm like, I'm not going to be like, no, I'm going to get you a worse deal. And you're going to like, who does that? Right. That's not a good way to run a business, but sorry, keep going. Yeah, yeah, no, it's exactly what it is. And I think, you know, I thought I was going to be great at underwriting because I'm very meticulous on my own 
financial agenda and spreadsheets and I'm very well organized and I have history of all my own documents. But then when it came to clients, I just expected that, you're like, they're not. <laughs> yeah. I expected they were going to be the same and, yeah. and they definitely weren't. So that's been a real struggle, the document collection and with more unique files, you know, you're collecting T5s that don't match up with the T1. And then you're trying to find retained earnings in the company and it kind of the list goes on, but where sales kind of translated and obviously long answer here, but sales was easier for me because that was customer support. And that was relating right. to someone's problem and providing a solution. So, and again, just sticking to being authentic and finding what's best for them. So yeah, sales actually really took off. And I think a lot of that too is, you know, BRX and the training that you guys have provided is yeah. heavily weighed on sales, um, yeah. you know, which has been great. Like the VIP club has been awesome. Just switching that mindset that right. sales isn't a negative. It isn't. Yeah. It's not, you're not, if you're taking, you're doing it wrong. If you feel like you're taking, you're doing it wrong. And if absolutely, you, if, yeah, because people can pick up on your intention. Like you can feel it. They don't have to say it. They can even use the perfect language that says they're trying to, but we're hardwired for, it. you know, I remember I once I heard a, uh, how we can pick up on things that are real or not. They did a review that was like, a you know, they interviewed somebody coming out of a movie and they said, what'd you think about the movie? They had two professional actors acted and the real person and almost everybody can pick out who the actors are. It's the same words, but the way that we can tell when it's not true, there's something in the language. The person who was being authentic, they kind of tripped over their words. It wasn't perfect, but the actors were more polished and you're like, I don't trust you because it's too polished. It's kind of interesting, right? Like, so be real, I guess is what we're saying. Be real with people. Yeah. Just tell them no. And there'll always be another file, another opportunity. I think if you treat people that way. Yeah. Um, okay. So for you, what was your biggest kind of takeaway from the program that was the most helpful? Yeah. I'm heavily weighed on my own mindset. You know, I really believe in that, but having Lauren like bi-weekly meetings was fantastic, especially in the first couple of months of the program. You know, you're going through a lot of roller coasters, career-wise, emotional, emotional. Whatever. And, yeah, yeah. you know, she was just great to kind of bounce ideas off of. And then Jesse and Sarah as well, like just, you know, an unbelievable team that not specific takeaways, but just to have people that you're in the trenches with and they give you confidence to push the submit button. You know, if you're doing that by yourself as a new broker, I could definitely see that being intimidating. So yeah, having those three as a dynamic team to start with was right. instrumental for the sure. trifecta. Okay. So yeah. that's awesome. Yeah. And so let's ask you some rapid fire questions. You can answer shorter answers. So what's one thing people can't find out about you from Google? Yeah, I've traveled a lot in my youth, so I've been to 73 countries. Wow. Which one is one you will never go back to again? Oof, I don't think I've ever said <laughs> I that. I'm going to ask the most random questions. Yeah, right? it's like, no, I like that. I've said it before, and then I've gone back to that country, but Papua New Guinea was one of them. Okay, Papua yeah. New Guinea. Okay, well, well, I'm not even going to ask why, because then people can have that, like, they'll see you at a conference. Hey, why Papua New Guinea? What's wrong with the Papua New Guinea? Yeah. Uh, what's a movie everybody should watch at least once? Yeah, if I answered that, honestly, my wife would make fun of me. There's just going to be a list of like Adam Sandler movies or something, you know, but I would switch that question to a book. And for me, that would be Rich Dad, Poor Dad in conjunction with Vivid Vision. I found those both pretty awesome books. Vivid Vision, who wrote that? Cameron Harold. he's Canadian. That's the guy from 1-800-GUNK. Yeah. yeah, I've heard of that. It's actually really good. What are three software programs or tools you use that you couldn't run your business without? Yeah, Excel. I love spreadsheets. Loom fantastic and you introduced me to that you know in conjunction to excel it's just great to walk clients through budgets and finmo is an obvious one and i'd tack on a fourth there with lucas at vip club he's been awesome to work with yeah he's awesome and then what's the best advice you received as a new mortgage broker 
pretty much anything in Dustin Woodhouse's books. I really enjoyed his series. Again, transparent guy, just trying to be authentic and doing what's right with the client. And, you know, everyone's going to screw up, but when you do screw up, put your hand up and fix the problem, you know? So yeah. I really liked his books. That's really good. There's a great quote that Boris Bozek said to me, he's the CEO of Merrick's and he's like, it may not be my fault, but it's my problem. And I'm like, that's a great mindset to have when it comes to these things. Cause even if it's not your fault, it's like, Oh, how can I help? Like just try to fix it. Right. And if yeah. you do make a mistake, then totally, as you say, own it. And I think that's awesome. Okay. So where can people find you online? VentureMortgages.com or just email me at Taylor at VentureMortgages.com. Okay, man. Awesome. Thanks, Taylor, for chatting with me, brother. Good to catch up. And I'm glad things are going well with your business and you're finding your groove and your niche. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Scott. Looking forward to uh, being on one of your pro podcasts when I get there. You will be there, I have no doubt. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode with Taylor. If you are a new mortgage agent and you're like, man, I want to get my business going. I want to get support like Taylor talked about. One of the things that's unique about our brokerage that I don't believe anybody else does is we do mindset. We actually have mindset calls every week. We have mindset modules when you join the brokerage. And we also assign you a mindset coach throughout your journey with us because we know that we can give you all the tactics and training and tips and everything else. But if your mindset's not right, man, it's like you can have a Ferrari sitting in the garage with no gas in it. It's not going anywhere. So super important that you actually focus on that. So if you're interested to find out how we can help, go to rookie2rockstar.ca. That's www.rookie2rockstar.ca. You can check out a webinar we have there where I walk you through all of the things that we do that are unique for helping rookies be successful. Go check that out. And thanks again for listening to this episode. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production. 